Welcome to another edition of Come Receive the Light from the Orthodox Christian Network. I'm Mike Trout, and our host, as always, is Father Christopher Metropolis. Today, we journey to India and learn about the Orthodox outreach then and now in that country. There were several waves of missionaries coming into India, and by the time the Western missionaries came, of course, their primary interest was evangelization and conversion. But then along with that, they were seriously engaged in social reform, primarily in the education of the girls, because girls and women were largely marginalized in the Indian society. So some of the finest schools and colleges in India, even today, were founded by the missionaries. And also to healthcare, uh, major and smaller hospitals across the country were founded and run by the missionaries. But there could have been negative things also. So the point is that the missionary legacy is a mixed bag. Dr. Yesudas Matthew Atyal is a visiting researcher at the Center for Global Christianity and Mission School of Theology at Boston University. He's also the acquiring editor of the South Asian Theology and Editor of Shapers of Ecumenical Theology Series by Fortress Press. He is the editor of Religion in Southeast Asia, an Encyclopedia of Faiths and Cultures, and the associate editor of the Oxford Encyclopedia of South Asian Christianity from Oxford University Press. He has an extensive teaching and research experience in the areas of philosophy, theology, religion, and social analysis. His research papers have been published extensively. Christians have existed in India since the time of St. Thomas the Apostle and have coexisted with other religious groups for centuries. What are the ways in which Christianity has transformed the Indian society at large? These are some of the things that we're going to discuss today. Welcome, Doctor, to the program. Thank you, sir. It's a great honor for me to, to participate in this program. Well, clearly you have a very, very extensive background, so I'm going to be the student and you'll be the teacher. How's that, okay? <laughs> okay. All right. And I'll just ask, try to ask poignant questions. Uh, as you have been leading the Hindu-Christian dialogue at the National Council of Churches, Let's talk about the recent attacks against Christian minorities in India, and what are your hopes for any interfaith dialogues going forward? Well, um, I must say at the outset that uh, Hindu-Christian dialogue of the National Council of Churches has not yet started. The preparations are going on, and we hope to have the first meeting in the spring of next year. Um, It can be said that... uh, Christians at the moment are passing through a very difficult time. Uh, Christians have always been a minority in India, uh, not more than uh, 2 or 3% of the total population. But uh, but for a long time, Christians have experienced uh, freedom uh, in a a framework of secularism and democracy. But now that is under threat. And uh, especially the current government in India, uh, which is uh, is a Hindu nationalist government, has been rather hostile to many minorities, including the Christians. And uh, this is a difficult situation for us. But then it it should also be added that uh, there are several moderate voices in Hinduism, and not all Hindus are fundamentalists. In fact, a majority uh, would be moderate and liberal in their views. And therefore, there's a great scope for a 
for a dialogue uh, with uh, Hinduism. Uh, but in America, we are particularly uh, talking about the American Hinduism. There is a sizable section of the Indian immigrants here are Hindus. And so the primary purpose of this dialogue would be to uh, have, a, have a more healthy relation with the American Hindus and American Christianity. So that's the basic purpose. Okay. Now, I, I would say, and you're a great uh, scholar here, so I hope you can help me. Whenever we go into extreme positions in faith, we usually get ourselves in trouble, don't we? That's true. That's absolutely true. And th th that's what we are seeing now in India and probably in the U.S. and in several other countries. Okay. And let me ask you another question. You edited a book on the life and legacy of M.M. M. Thomas, yes. an Indian Christian theologian renowned for his work in ecumenism. Um, what can we learn from him, given the present climate in India and the world? I mean, what has impacted you? M.M. Thomas was one of the greatest uh, ecumenical theologians of the last century. Uh, of course, he held very important positions at the international level. He was the first layman to be the moderator of the Central Committee of the World Council of Churches. And also, uh, he, was, he was a visiting professor at the Princeton Theological Seminary in New Jersey. So he held several important positions uh, internationally, but he was also very active in India, and he always uh, stayed in India and treated India as his home. And he, he, he was a scholar of religions, especially Hinduism. And he studied at length Hinduism, especially the Renaissance forms in Hinduism. The Renaissance, the moderate, the liberal, the inclusive, the reformed voices in Hinduism. And he, uh, he, he did research on uh, what was the understanding of acknowledged Christ for these Hindus, for the moderate and Renaissance Hindus. So that was his lifelong passion. And he believed in a dialogical relationship between uh, Hindus and uh, Christians. And he also uh, took seriously the secular framework of the Indian society and uh, worked on those uh, lines. And he saw towards the end of his life, he saw that the fundamentalist forces were coming up in India and Hindu fundamentalism was on the rise. And he was very conscious of that. And he was, uh, and he was very worried about that. And he felt probably more than, more than at any other time in the past, there is a need for us to focus on a healthy relationship between the Renaissance reformed voices in Hinduism and those uh, reformed voices uh, in Christianity. I know, Doctor, you, you probably uh, are aware of this, but there seems to be a movement for ecumenism and a movement against ecumenism. We have it even in Orthodox Christianity, of course. Uh, those who seek that pure element and those who seek, well, I don't know what they seek. Uh, the purity scares me. We can all be pure, but I know God is the only one who is pure, that I know completely pure. Mm -hmm. um, what is it about ecumenism that we fear so much? Is it because we're insecure in our own faith? and therefore we, we are frightened of it, we are afraid our faith is going to be watered down. What do you think it is? Uh, but I'll say that you are absolutely right that uh, there is a movement uh, 
for ecumenism and there's a movement against ecumenism, but, but that is nothing new. It has been the case from the beginning of the modern ecumenical movement. There has been these, these two forces have been quite active. The, the movement that believes in uh, Christian unity uh, and also the movements that uh, feel that any such a unity should be could be counterproductive. Even even if you take the Eastern Orthodox churches, uh, became a part of the World Council of Churches uh, during the third WCC assembly in 1961. And since then, the Orthodox churches have been very active uh, in the ecumenical movement. I believe this dialectical process is important. I believe this dialectical process uh, by those who those who believe in ecumenical process and those who have questions about that. They have genuine questions and those should be respected. Uh, this is also true among evangelicals also. Uh, a sizable number of evangelicals have serious questions about the ecumenical movement, but some of them are part of it. So this is a dialectical process that we need to continue and continue okay. for the healthy relationship of the church. Norman, let's go to India itself for a minute because I think most people will be ignorant about what Christian denominations are in India. We don't hear much about them. Can you explain the religious landscape for us in India? Oh, we have we have the wide spectrum of Christian uh, Christian confessions present in India: uh, Roman Catholic and uh, strong Protestant and Eastern Orthodox, Evangelical, Pentecostal. So you have this wide spectrum of. Uh, Christianity present in India. I come from a southwestern uh, state called Kerala, and the tradition is that uh, St. Thomas, Apostle Thomas, came to Kerala in the first century AD. And uh, today the St. Thomas Christians are scattered among the Catholics, among the Orthodox, among the Protestants, and other groups. So uh, if you go by the government of India statistics, Christians constitute only 2.6% of the total population. But then uh, some other unofficial statistics would put the percentage up to 5 or 6% of the total population. But the thing is that even if you go by the official 2.6% of the population, that's a huge number. It's about uh, 25 million, which is quite a, quite a sizable number. Uh, I would say about... Uh, 40%, 40 to 50% would be Catholics, and the rest divided among the Orthodox, among the Protestant, Evangelicals, and Pentecostals. So we have uh, the strongholds of Christianity are mostly South India, also in Northeast India. It is strong, but, uh, but it's weak in the North. All right. Let me ask you one, one final question, Doctor, and thank you for taking the time today. What are your observations on the early missionaries that went to India? as being a so-called authentic witness and a legacy that, that they'd left behind? There were several waves of missionaries coming into India. If you take the first case, the St. Thomas Christians, St. Thomas himself, uh, and, uh, and the early missionaries from Syria, from Syria, from the Persian area that came. Of course, there is, there is not much of historical evidence for the first two or three centuries of Christianity in India. But there are strong traditions that would say that the church has been active. And so that was largely due to the missionary work of the St. Thomas and the Syrian and the Eastern Eastern Christianity. Then we have a 
probably from the 7th 8th century onwards the catholic catholic missionaries were coming not not in a very strong way but uh, there there were sporadic missionary movements but from the 14th 15th century you had a, a regular catholic mission work in different places also protestant missions from 17th century onwards the protestant missionaries have been so this needs to be seen in different levels if you talk about st thomas christians uh, they largely lived within a hindu society framework so they were able to adapt themselves to the hindu environment that was around them so they they kind of permeated into the wider hindu society that was around them and by the time the western missionaries came of course their primary interest was evangelization and conversion but then along with that they did uh, they were seriously engaged in social reform they were engaged in social reform prim- primarily in the education primary education and the education of the girls because girls and women were largely marginalized in the indian society and also fighting against the social evils such as untouchability that was there so some of the finest schools and colleges in india even today were founded by the missionaries so missionaries made a very important contribution to the education mission and also to healthcare uh, uh, several uh, major and smaller hospitals across the country uh, were founded and run by the missionaries so those were the positive aspects but there could have been negative things also for one there were criticisms that uh, western missionaries were sympathetic uh, to the british colonial rule that was there not all of them but then there has been an effort in the catholic church also in the protestant churches at indigenization and so today we incorporate a number of indian cultural elements into our worship and witness so the point is that the missionary legacy is a mixed bag it is not it is not positive or negative alone but there are certainly uh, this uh, this aspect positive and negative aspects to the missionary legacy you know doctor i'm i'm just looking up while we're speaking the world population so if the world population is 7.5 billion people yes. and india's population we said was what 1.3 okay so yes, let's sorry. say 1/7 of the world yes is in india so it stands yes. to reason that we should be watching to see and following and learning uh what is going on in your great country there of of india it's a, it's an amazing amazing place isn't it <laughs> i agree yeah yeah it is it is true that india is increasingly playing an important role in the national scene so that is that is an important factor but it also needs to be remembered that a large section of the indian society is still marginalized we have still got the untouchable people or the lower caste people who don't have voices and all so that is both these aspects are very important yes it is true that india is continuing to be an important player in the international scene very good thank you so much doctor for being with us today oh you are most welcome sir what a fascinating conversation so much to learn 
You've been listening to the Orthodox Christian Network's broadcast, Come Receive the Light. I'm Mike Trout, and our host is Father Christopher Metropolis. You can listen again to this uh, broadcast by going to our website at myocn.net. That's myocn.net, and click on the Listen button. We are a nonprofit outreach supported entirely over the last 25 years by the generous donations of listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to become a partner with us, if you're not already, go to the website and click on the Donate button right there on the home page. We'd also love your feedback. There's an opportunity for you to share that information, any feedback you might have with us. When you go to Come Receive the Light and click on the comment button associated with this particular broadcast. If you're not online, again, the website is myocn.net. Until we meet again, please, especially in this day and age of so much media and information available to you, remember to always have faith in what you listen to. I see the world your way, and I'm not afraid to follow. I see the world your way, and I'm not ashamed to say so. I see the Jesus way, and I'm walking in the light.